Hi. Thanks for coming down, man. Of course. It's great to see you, dude. You as well. Dude, so let's just uh, jump right into it. Um, talk about your relationship with music um, and how it all started. Yeah, I mean, I think I always had music in the house. Neither of my parents were super musical, but they had really good taste in music. Um, so what was being played in your house? Oh, my God. So my mom is like an 80s new wave <laughs> aficionado. So... Um, Depeche Mode, Blondie, um, and then Duran Duran, which questionably not New Wave, but that's okay. And then that um, sort of led me in my teenage years to people like Kate Bush and all that stuff. And then um, my dad um, loved The Doors um, and a lot of those sort um, sort of cult classic bands from that era. Um, and my grandfather, big into jazz. And so, um, you know, I, I had a good mix of, of a little bit of everything. Yeah, that's a perfect blend, too. And it's cool because Blondie, like, started out as, like, kind of a punk band, too, playing at CBGB and mm-hmm. stuff before they got into the kind of, like, 80s new wave stuff. And then the Doors were, like, almost jazzy in a lot of their compositions, too, before they started getting, like, writing their hits, you know, like, breaking yeah. through and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, so like, what struck you the most when you heard it? Like, was there one kind of genre that just stuck out to you more so than the others? I remember uh, my dad had like a Doors CD, um, and a whiskey song, Alabama. Yeah, uh, whiskey song. Um, I just loved that. Um, just obnoxious. I, I believe it's Oregon on that. Yeah, um, and that kind of like storytelling which uh, sort of abstract but you can piece it together uh but you know i was a big 80s fan i mean i still am yeah um a genre that i kind of had to get in or a decade i had to get into on my own was the 70s and i would say that's now my favorite decade of music um but you know i definitely think what's so good about modern music to to an extent is that you know, you don't really have to pick a favorite genre. <laughs> you can sort of do whatever yeah. you want. Um, and I think that's really fun. Yeah, I feel like genres used to be useful um, back like 20, 30 years ago because you had to kind of give the listeners um, some pers- like some expectation of what they're listening to because they didn't have the unlimited streaming access to everything, you know. But I feel like as time goes on, I feel like the borders are kind of being crumbled, you know, and like there's less utility for genres. So do you see genres still being like a functional use in society today and the music industry? Well, I think the music industry is always going to want to like compartmentalize the best yeah. that it can. Um, I mean, the Grammys, for instance, it's getting harder to tell what is what category, um, particularly when it comes to like rock versus alternative. Yeah. Uh, versus pop um but you know it's sort of i think about like the spotify algorithms and playlisting and you know real people like make these playlists and i mean they're just current day like disc jockeys like that's our new equivalent yeah um but a lot of them are really absent of like a strict 
formula because they're not bound by commercials and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of them will have genre parameters, um, but it's like less and less important. And I think especially young artists are really just negating it all together, whether, you know, Frank Ocean on Blonde or mm. even like Miley Cyrus's latest record, which is, you know, a banger to her credit. Miley is a badass, man. She is good. <laughs> I mean, there's like country melodies yeah. with like Billy Idol on the track yeah. with like the most earth shattering, earth rattling bass. Yeah. And, you know, that's cool. Like, you know, and it's on the radio. Mm. And, you know, I think that's really, you know, the more that we can break out of whatever confines us the better definitely and like on my end one of my favorite guitar players is this bluegrass guy named billy strings yeah but he plays like jazz standards too plays like hip-hop songs like does hip-hop covers or whatever and he won um best bluegrass album of the year or whatever but isn't half he of coming bluegrass, here dude i saw him in saint augustine yeah, yeah, yeah. it was like a week ago best show i've ever seen in my entire life it was like I've never been to a Grateful Dead concert, but it is what I imagine what it would be like. <laughs> so many, such an eclectic blend of people. But um, but talking about the Grammys, they, I guess their viewership went down 50% um, in total from this year to last year. So do you think that people are just less involved um, in cable TV or less involved in awards for music? Because I feel like a lot of the bands don't really see that as much like having as much relevancy as it used to you know what i mean like oh i got a grammy it has a different weight to it nowadays i think so i mean and part of it is because i i watched the grammys this year and i thought it was like a better broadcast they have a new producer now gotcha um and it was more actually about the making of the music and less about these sort of fake mashup performance moments that Mm -hmm. are just useless um I think there's only at awards shows, the table's only so big and someone inevitably is not going to be invited and they're going to get their feelings hurt. This year was the weekend. Um, But I also think people have this misconstrued idea of what industry awards should be. Um, Like it's not, I mean, they have a best packaging award at the Grammys, but like an artist is more than their branding. And, like, I remember, um, and I'm going to get flack for this, but when Beck beat Beyonce, yeah. and that was such a, like, Twitter watershed moment. Yeah. But, like, Beck deserved to win. Okay. And, like, we put so much emphasis on what we like opposed to what is, like, objectively... Deserved. Deserved. Yeah. And I think that has sort of made, because of social media and everything, it's made these awards really hard. It's put them in a tough spot. Yeah. Um, and Beyonce it has deserved to win more than she's won. She should have won for Lemonade. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to get the wrong idea. Like, I hate Beyonce. But, um, you know, I think that it, it, it's just a tough spot to be in, these awards shows, because yeah. they're, they're in a, a lose-lose situation. Because you have all these rabid fandoms that are at war with each other. Yeah. And going the avatar is dead and no one is bringing <laughs> peace to the kingdom. And yeah. so. And you bring up a good point too. Um, you're not your brand. But in this day and age, it's so synonymous that you almost have to. It's almost like your brand is more important than the music that you make. Um, and obviously to us musicians, like 
the art comes first and foremost, you know, but if you look at that, if you put that like perspective on the artists that are making it today, you know, it's more of a brand than the the music that they put out or the art that they put out, whether it be like, and don't get me wrong, Billy Ellish is amazing, badass musician, but I feel like it's almost more of a brand when you go and it's like just trying to sell merchandise to like 14 year old girls um, and like so on and so forth. Like, do you think you can be a successful musician without having a brand? Well, I might say this, um, you know, the Beatles were selling merchandise to 14 year old oh, yeah. women. Um, and so were all of our favorite, yeah. whatever bands and, um, Bowie arguably was just about the branding as much about his music, his persona. Yeah. Um, Warhol was mm. just as much about the, the myth of Warhol as the art. And yeah. I think he was the first artist to, he was a social media artist before there was social media. Interesting. And so the idea that all of these things are new isn't really, you know, true. I mean, artists, the industry has always been about branding. Um, and But I think so I, I write a lot about and have been thinking a lot about like the like this post Citizens United world where companies can donate um, unlimited amounts of money to political figures and mm. corporations present themselves more and more as people and people present themselves more and more as brands. Yeah. And, you know, when you think about like brand loyalty, you are loyal to this abstract corporation brand, mm -hmm. you know, and that is a psychologically conditioned thing to feel. Yeah. And, you know, of course that bleeds into music. But what is really concerning is I see people who are, you know, turning themselves into a brand, thinking about their brand. I see these memes about having rebranding meetings with yourself. Yeah. Like you are a person that has yeah. flaws and faults and beauty and actual like emotion that exists outside of a, a perception. Yeah. And, you know, and that just isn't relative to music it's just everything nowadays like everyone wants to present themselves away i want to present myself away yeah um and so you know it, it's tough um it's almost like the the brands have hijacked our psychology of wanting to be in a community to maximize profits for themselves you know and not only have they done it so well as we're we want to identify with brands but now we're like you said becoming our own brands and like now with social media, it's a very interesting thing too, where your your identity is what people think of you more so than what you are, you know, and that's kind of heavy. Um, and I feel like that's what leads to a lot of the disconnect of like how people feel and how people act and behave. You know, it's it's a weird thing with that stuff, man. But you you were talking about writing, so what's your day job and uh, what do you do? Um, I'm a creative director, uh, so I work. Um, not only for Folio, I do other freelance stuff, but my main gig is with Folio Weekly Magazine um, currently. And so I uh, design the magazine, try to make it look pretty. Yeah. <laughs> um, all that jazz. Well, and then talk about social media too. So um, you just did a story on the guy who, uh, I forgot his name, but he was the vinyl presser mm -hmm. that got like a million views on TikTok. So talk about that. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wrote a Brian Lester, a wonderful person, also in the band Bobby Kid. Oh, wonderful okay. band. Sick. Um, and yeah, I mean, he just. I don't have TikTok. I think the first time I got on TikTok was to watch his videos. Um, but um, yeah, so he just does these like vinyl pressing tutorials, and um, we were just sort of talking about it. And a lot of it is sort of on the idea that our generation did not grow up owning like physical recollection of music or physical records. And, you know, that's a thing we now do. Um, But like, you know, people don't, I didn't know how it was made until I, I saw him do it in person. And so um, sort of talking about that and also a little bit about how, you know, the, your music collection, what you listen to, you know, is, you know, an integral part of your personality and the way you present yourself. Um, And so this is really interesting. um, But yeah, I mean, TikTok's not something I'm on, not because I have any beef with TikTok. Um, I think I'd kind of be good at it, but um, (laughs) I just, I can't get myself into that rabbit hole. Yeah, I respect you. I, uh, I'm in the same boat, man. It's, it's something that I agree with you. Like I don't have beef with, but I also don't want to get because I feel like I would just spend too much time on it. <laughs> you know, like yeah. the algorithm's too good. Like, cause I love watching weird shit, man. Like chess videos or whatever. Like that's my big thing now. And like, I feel like I would just go down rabbit holes of just watching that so many times and like gear. Like I love different, like old guitars and old amps and stuff. And I would just be sucked in, man. It's crazy. But uh, yeah, that's sick. So what's your writing process for music and how has it evolved since you like first started writing um, until now? And like, do you have melodies that come first? Do you have lyrics that come first? Um, chord progressions? So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, I typically start out um, with dry lyrics. So like no melody or chord or anything. Um and so it, I try to write, you know, I give myself space to write, but more, more often I write in my car. <laughs> um, okay. I don't know if that happens to you, but like the driving best place. Around? Yeah, driving around. And I just, I'm like, oh my God, I get this idea. I have to voice memo these yeah. words um, or in my shower. Um, and then I take what I think is the best lyrics. Um, what are the best lyrics? And I put them on paper and then I say the great shuffle happens. I look at all the lines and I'm like, how does this work? Um, Because what I find is like, it's almost like I don't have to be writing the same song all at the same time to be writing the same song. Um, Like on my upcoming record, um, there's a song called portrait of 21 and all the verses were written this year, but the chorus was written, I think in 2015. Wow. And so, um, and I had tried three different choruses writing it, and I was like, none of this is working. And then I just remembered I had these, like, lyrics, um, I want what I can't have and I'm just too scared to ask. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's the perfect two lines. And so um, it kind of depends. And then I typically will take it to my piano, and that's when I sort of work on um, melodies and stuff like that. But I try to keep my melodies pretty vague, so like when I go into my uh, the studio with uh, Taylor Neal, who produces. Oh, yeah. And he's stuff. in Bobby Kid too, right? Yes. Gotcha. Um, you know, when we're sort of working on recording and mixing the 
sort of melody stays the same, the structure of the song stays the same, but I like the idea of being able to like change where I land on notes, where I hold things sort of like as the instrumentation progresses. Yeah. Um, Cause I'm a big fan of um, Joni Mitchell. Um, and what nice. I love about her, she would, people ask me who's my favorite artist. I say Joni Mitchell, like no question asked. Hell yeah. Um, but uh, is that the way, particularly on, you know, albums like Blue and Court and Spark and Ladies of the Canyon, um, the instrumentation just so perfectly fits the melody and they're like mm-hmm. in cahoots with each other and yeah. they're responding to each other. And that's what I strive for. Um, you know, never in my life will I be as good as her, but um you know, to me, that's really great songwriting because it's like thinking about the lyrics in the same frame as the production, where I feel like sometimes artists are like one or the other, like yeah. I'm going to have a really sick production. Like I feel like Kanye recently has just veered into being a producer who has yeah. to come up with lyrics. Um, whereas I feel like, um, you know, I I typically like to start with the words. Yeah. Um, and I like how you say like you just kind of run into these ideas and they're not necessarily like related. It's kind of like you're kind of like fishing down a river, you know, and it's like, all right, I got this like idea. You're just going to hold off, like keep it in the back burner. And then as you accumulate more ideas, you see where they fit in the bigger picture. And that's like, that's something beautiful to me with writing music because the time that it takes to put together a piece, because a lot of people will rush, you know, they're like, I need to put a song and it's like, I got these ideas. Let's fit them together. But if you're patient with it, then you kind of see the bigger picture and the puzzle pieces start to fall in line, you know? Um, so when you're writing, is it more of a storytelling thing? Is it more of um, trying to build imagery and how much do you, how much do you think of the audience and their perspective when you are writing? Um, I mean, I hate to write a song and nobody knows what it's about. Yeah. I think that is, you know, buzzkill. I mean, but you know, that's not something I like actively will think about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been really into more or less like stream of consciousness writing is what I've mm-hmm. done for the past few years. Um, do you like Camus? Albert no. Camus, he, the stranger, he's like a stream of the con- or a stream of consciousness. Send me writer. that later. Okay, yeah. Um, but like, I think of like Leonard Cohen. Oh yeah. Um, and I, I, another artist I've grown up with. Um, and I was way too young to be listening to Leonard Cohen. When I was listening <laughs> he, to Leonard yeah, Cohen. He's a savage. But um, you know, and a lot of his early stuff, I w- would say like Field Commander Cohen. I was listening to earlier, and like, I don't know if that stream of consciousness, but it just reads like that. Yeah. Um. Because I I like to be able to sort of just get it out. I think a lot of people, myself included, just need to like write and write and write and write and Mm -hmm. then go back and like edit and revise and sort of figure out what's working, what's not working. Um, And it also sort of removes a lot of barriers to sort of just like vulnerability Mm -hmm. where I feel like if you're trying to write about a certain thing, I mean, at least in my case, to sort of get in my head and I want to tell it perfectly opposed to where if I can just get it on the paper, that's typically good enough. Um, And I can sort of go back and pick apart what I like, what I don't like. Um, And it presents challenges because there's no melody involved in that. And so, you know, I'm at the piano for who knows how long trying to come up with a melody. Um, But like the benefit of that is that I feel like the lyrics are more honest. Mm hmm. Um, and I feel like that's more important to me than a melody. And one interesting thing too, is you bring up Joni Mitchell and Leonard Cohen and 
their songwriting has influenced like my life and my philosophy on life. They dated. You know? Did you know that? I did not know that. A case of you is about Leonard Cohen. Wow. That's a, that's a lot of talent in one relationship right there. <laughs> but they, they make you think a different way. Um, just reading and hearing some of those lines. So do you think that every great artist kind of has to be a philosopher on their own terms? You know what I mean? And come up with like creative and new innovative ideas. So, perspective on life or just anything like that i mean no um yes and no i mean i think because there are so many artists that are great that i wouldn't say are like the greats um Mm. like i would think like Joni mitchell leonard cohen george clinton like these types of people are like the greats um janis joplin patty smith whatever um uh but like I feel like what they do really well more than anything is like, it's beyond philosophy. It's just like a perspective. It's Mm -hmm. just, I'm going to be completely honest with you. And that's something that is so rare. Yeah. You know, I think at any time in history, but um, because like that type of generosity with your writing is what I think makes it stand the test of time it gives it the sort of timelessness when you're not so much focused on everything going on around you um, as much as you are, um, or let me say it this way, when you're writing with feeling and not about feeling, right? I think that's what I try to do. And so like you're trying to analyze the world, you're trying to be honest about it, but you're not going to be, hung up on what the world thinks about it. Like, I don't think Leonard Cohen gave two shits about what anyone thought about his music. Um, And I think you need to just have that sort of freedom um, because then you're susceptible to whatever trend or anything like that's going on. Um, And so it's probably a bit non-coherent there. But uh, I definitely think that, you know, great writers have an ability to skewer the world participate in the world um, and sort of view it from outside and inside. Yeah. And they stay true to themselves. And that's what is so like the integrity of those grades is impeccable because you see a lot of great musicians and they come up and their first record's amazing. And then they get a record deal and then it just like so jaded. Um, And it's so interesting to see how somebody can be so honest with themselves and like their their creativity and another thing too is like i feel like when you're writing about like decay and kind of like chaos it's there's something beautiful about that so like what do you think draws people to write about decay and what do you think draws the listener to like songs about decay (laughs) did you go on my spotify (laughs) um i think well so it I mean, this year in particular, it was hard to not write about it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this upcoming record I have out is sort of about the different ways that we try to hollow ourselves out to make ourselves bigger. Mm. Um, and so uh, another way I've been saying that is, like, we try to, like, find renewal and decay. Um, and so I was thinking about, like, um, urban renewal, um, a lot of, like, black neighborhoods were destroyed um, by the white-led government um, and, like, a quote-unquote attempt to renew it. Um, 
or like um, the way just every day we choose to like whittle ourselves down um, so that everyone else around us feels more comfortable or, um, you know, sort of stuff like that. And I think people relate to that because we all have this sort of inherent like insecurity like even the most confident people in the world are like super insecure um they're just really good at hiding it and so um i think it's hard to be a writer and to be an optimist there are people that do it really well like uh, casey musgraves does it really well but that's not my jive i kind of gotta look at what's wrong in society um or what i think you know could be better and comment on it. Um, I've been trying to comment more. And so, um, you know, the upcoming record opens with the song called gone too. Um, and I was really inspired by Buffy St. Marie, um, who sings with this sort of like, she's indigenous native American or not native American Canadian. Um, and so she has this like throat singing thing. She does, um, I wasn't doing that, obviously, because I am not indigenous. But um, one thing I grew up in was the church. And I was sort of thinking about like Gregorian chanting, which is oh, like an yeah. equivalent style thing. Um, and that's also a very American thing um, on Solange's latest record. It has a lot of like chopped and screwed and a lot of chanting and stuff like yeah. that. Um, and so that whole song is about all these buildings downtown where, that were destroyed. And then all these abandoned buildings looking at all these destroyed buildings thinking, Oh my God, I'm next. Like I'm gone too. Um, and sort of just that dread of the world around you falling down in your next. Um, and you know, I was kind of inspired during quarantine to just write about things that weren't myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and that kind of just made me realize that I was writing about myself just through these other objects. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just like a more interesting thing to do. Um, cause I think it sort of makes it more like universally relatable yeah. when it's just not like me, me, me the whole time. Yeah. The buildings being built in the graveyard. That's a, that's a powerful thing too. And there's one saying it's like the, the optimist believes that we live in the best world. And then the pessimist believes that that's true. And I think that's uh, that's pretty uh, telling of the times too. And it's like, it, it's hard to write moving songs that are happy, you know. Um, I feel like people relate to sadness and like just basically overall depressing shit more so than they relate to happiness because I feel like it's more of a truthful expression rather than like the shell of happiness that everybody tries to like hide behind, you know. Well, and I think there's, like, moments of happiness. And, like, I don't I don't like to think that, like, you just have to write sad music. Yeah. Um, and, like, um, you know, and there's, like, pop music that's great. Um, and there's music about partying that's great and drinking that's great. And, um, you know, but, like, we – there has to be, like, a, a counter to that. And I think someone that just writes about, like, sad music all the time – like you need to have a counter to that as well. I mean, people experience so many different emotions. Why are we even limiting it to happy and sad? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't even know that I write sad music. Um, I don't know if that's the right word. Um, and so, you know, I think 
whatever emotion people are feeling, I think you can write perfectly um, good music on that. Um, but I, I do have a penchant for, for sad tunes. Yeah. Um, so do you think that there's room for creativity and innovation in the music industry today? Always. I think, I mean, it, it's currently, you know, the, I think the, um, concept album is sort of taking on a new meaning right now. Mm. Um, like Fetch the Bolt Cutters, Fiona Apple was a wonderful concept okay. album. I feel like, honestly, in the past two years, there's been so much good music that's come out that yeah. I think is so different from anything else the world has ever heard previously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Fetch the Bolt Cutters is an album where, you know, it's much more common in maybe Eastern music the way she was writing her melodies and doing her production, but the idea of like, banging on walls to create a beat and having your dog barking for 15 seconds on your title (laughs) track and, you know, stuff that other, you know, um, cultures have always done with music. Um, you know, she sort of brought to pop music in a really authentic way. I think similar to what, um, uh, Paul Simon did with Graceland. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, Solange's when I get home, you know, I don't think there's a song longer than four minutes on that thing. Uh, but like you get so much imagery and so much emotion from essentially an album full of interludes. Mm-hmm. And that's a really sort of new idea. And that's only capable because of streaming. Yeah. Um, and, you know, those are two artists that are, are really cool. And even Beyonce, um, you know, and, and her sister Solange really sort of taking visual art to like a new level um you know and sort of saying you know here's how you perceive my music just audibly now watch these videos and change your perception and that's something that is you know new and different and so i think people are still you know really innovative um you know it's just in different ways maybe it's harder to find i think there's also just so much music that it's easy to say you know so much of it's crap um but like i feel like that's like a boomer mentality yeah and uh you know particularly i think women are you know really pushing the music industry forward coming up with new ways of storytelling and new ideas and um you know that's really exciting to see because for a really long time they were just sidelined and they didn't have platforms to do that Mm -hmm. um and I think that's what's so wonderful about streaming is, you know, there's still equity issues in music. But if you want to make music, you can make music yeah. um, and you need a label less and less. And Definitely. I think that's really cool. Man, Beyonce's concert was one of the best pieces of art I've ever seen, man. And what's cool is like, like you said, they were taking from cultures that not a lot of people listen to. Like she took a lot of melodies uh, from the horn sections of Fela Kuti and he's um, the night like one of the most influential musicians of all time from Nigeria. And it's so cool to see that she like, because some musicians just make music to make money, but you can tell by what music the musicians listen to, if they're authentic or not. And she does her research, man. And it's like, it's so cool to see. And not only that, but like how they got the the high school marching bands and stuff yeah. like that. It was unbelievable. I listened to um, the Lift Every Voice and Sing rendition okay. of that concert a lot because that was written in Jacksonville um, by James Owen Johnson. And yeah, that's like that. a really good version of that song. Yeah. 
but like that's a, a wonderful, wonderful concert. But she was, I think, the first black woman to headline Coachella even yeah. then. And so like, you know, I feel like she probably was like, I've got something to prove. Yeah. And I'm going to prove it. And she did. Badass, man. And um, and then you talk about how there's so much music and a lot of it is crap. Like, what's your perspective on saturation in the market? Do you think that the lowering of the barriers to entry of making music is a good thing? Or what are the pros and cons of that? I think to a degree, it's a really good thing. Um, because, you know, I think talent is evenly distributed among society, but access is not. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think there's always been industry plants like there's always been artists who were gonna be famous because their parents were whoever or you know that's life um but i almost would prefer the way we do it now because i'd rather have to like wade through a bunch of crap to get to good music than to not have the good music at all and um i just think that the way that the album has shifted because of streaming is good and bad. I mean, there's people like Drake that put 20 songs on a record just because he'll get better streaming numbers. Yeah. Um, or there's people that really try to use, you know, um, that type of freedom for good. Um, and don't get me wrong. I listen to Marvin's room a lot, but, um, (laughs) it's so, I think, you know, It's okay, you know, and there's music for everyone. Music that I might think is crap, people think is great. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of music that I listen to that people think is really, really weird and not good. And that's perfectly fine. Um, Like, and I think that's the great thing about art is that I can look at something and think it's horrible and someone can look at something and they think it's great and we all can get what we want from it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think we have issues in the industry when it comes to like writing music. Yeah. Um, I like all these writers just came out with like a letter about, um, artists taking credit for songs they didn't write. Like they had writing teams on. Yeah. Um, and I think writing teams in general are just way too big. Like you do not need 18 people to write a song. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, that kind of loses the, the touch of it. And people have always, used writers i mean before carol king was famous she was a writer um but you know i think you know there's something to say or something to be said for like the singular artist 100 percent. and you know those are the type of people i still gravitate towards yeah man and drake's like the notorious for having ghost writers man yeah he is but i'm not a drake guy so i I don't have (laughs) the i don't have enough knowledge to have an opinion on that but uh so do you think that creativity can be taught or it's something kind of innate um and then if it can be taught like how yeah i mean i think um like i'm even though i can like kind of get by on piano i'm about to start taking piano lessons just because i want to get like better at it um and i think that you know there's two sort of sides to art there's the technical aspect and there's the sort of concept creative aspect yeah. where people look at like a Pollock 
and it's just like these splatters on a canvas mm. and they'll be like i can do that and then i always say well why don't you yeah and it's because they didn't think of it yeah. and like that, that that's the hardest part of art is like thinking of the concept right mm. um and so that is something that I don't know if it can necessarily be taught. I think it can be conditioned. I think there's things, you know, people can do to make themselves more creative. I think exposure to art makes you more creative. 100%. I think that's why art class in school and music class in school is really important. Um, but, like, you know, the, the technical side of things, not something I've been really great at, um, which is why I think I gravitate towards writing because there's – no technical aspect to writing yeah. whatsoever. And, um, you know, that's just my bag. Um, but, you know, I think you can definitely, you know, learn to be more creative. I don't know if that makes you a more creative person, mm -hmm. but there's definitely ways that you could do it. So do you think, like, writing for a magazine empowers your creativity when writing um, songs? They're pretty separate. Um I would maybe say that writing songs makes me a better like writer elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, because I think, you know, another thing we forget is that I, I do think that you have to learn the basics of writing before you learn how to like break the basics of writing. Yeah. And so, um, you know, like structure is really important. Mm -hmm. Um but you get to a point where you can start to break that. But I feel like when you start to learn to break structure and come up with their own ways of doing things, like, you know, Joni Mitchell has all her like open tunings crazy and tunings. crazy tunings. And I was reading the other day, not, not to make this a Joni Mitchell Stan account, but um, <laughs> that in the nineties they created this technology for her. Cause she had so many tunings that, she wouldn't tune the guitar. This like receiver in the back would tune the output for her. Oh, wow. Um, because it was getting just too much for like live shows or, and, and yeah. everything. Um, switch guitars, every song. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's like an innovation that happened. Um, that's interesting. But, um, you know, I think that first she had to learn guitar mm. before she could learn all these or come up with all these crazy tunes. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think they kind of go hand in hand, but definitely I think writing music makes me a better writer elsewhere. Yeah. Learn the rules like a master so you can break them like an artist. Um, so what's the recording process like? Um, typically I will, this is all of what I'm working on right now. Um, nice. and so, um, I was flipping through a notepad for the listeners at home, <laughs> but, um, I typically will start writing and then I'll sit with it for a little bit and then I'll, you know, maybe come up with the melody and then I kind of just like keep it until I have a collection of things. Um, cause I don't like to get ahead of myself. Mm -hmm. There's some times where I'm like, you know, Oh my God, like this is so good that it doesn't even, there's nothing I'm going to write. That's like better than that. Yeah. Um, but, um, so I'll write it, I'll get with the melody, and then, um, you know, if that's the only thing I'm working on, whatever, typically it's not because I'm an albums guy, but um, nice. I'll eventually get in contact with Taylor Neal <laughs> and be like, I have this. Before I had my piano, I would just send him, like, voice memos, like, this is what I have. Okay. Um, which I think 
was difficult for both of us <laughs> because like that's so abstract mm-hmm. and I have a way it should sound in my head and yeah. he has what he thinks. So it's sort of like, what do you do? Um, but now it's a little bit easier. Um, and then um, we'll get in the studio for my song, Mary, it was really, really quick. It took like three vocal tries and like that yeah. was it, which was kind of crazy. Um, but tomorrow's my birthday. I think I did like 40 times. Okay. Which is so funny because this like tomorrow's my birthday, like comparative to Mary is like a super easy song yeah. to sing. Um, but I think... Mary's my favorite too. <laughs> um, but um, I think it, your ceiling's really trippy. But um, I think... <laughs> the arc. Yeah, but I think um, I try to sketch it out best I can. I do like to put together, like, playlists of, like, influences. Not so much, like, current artists, but, like, um, I'll, like, pick out songs, and then I'll try to, like, pick out the different parts of the songs I like. So if it's, like, a a drum here or, like, a like uh, a bass line here or, you know, these synths here yeah. just so that there's like an idea um, because I'm not someone that can just do it all by myself. I wish mm-hmm. I was, but um, so I think, you know, towards the end, it becomes a very collaborative process. Yeah. Um, but I almost always write in private. I don't think I've ever written like with anyone. Um, yeah. There's, there's something to be said about the solo artist, man. Like I wish I could do it. It's it's crazy because it's just un uh, what's the word like unadulterated, you know? Yeah. Coming straight from their minds. Like it's it's so cool that people can do that. And one thing that's like interesting is when you're a solo artist, you don't have people telling you what's bad or what's good or anything like that. So like what role does like being self critical play in your output of music? You know, I'm really lucky that like Taylor or Bobby will tell me if Bobby, I also work with, he plays guitar on a few of the tracks. He played guitar on Mary and tomorrow's my birthday. Um, And I'm right, I think, but um, he'll tell me if he thinks like a line's a clunker Mm -hmm. and there's like destined to be a clunker every once in a while. I haven't had a clunker in a while, but um, you know, and so like, I'm very lucky to have people that will tell me the truth because that's so much better than releasing bad music. Um, but I definitely try to, you know, look at music or my music and the music I write from like a very harsh standpoint, sometimes to a fault, but like I'm very, every word is going to be the right word. Like I don't want a dishonest word. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I, I'll just keep it out. Um and that's something I've had to like learn to do. It wasn't something that I was like dead set on doing before. Mm-hmm. And then I would go to like record the music and I'm just like, I don't even recognize the song. Like, I don't like the song. Like, yeah. what am I doing? And so, um, you know, I think being able to recognize when you're being a poser is really important. Yeah. And uh, it's something that you have to learn because I've been a poser in many a situation. So. Yeah, that that self awareness is like so important, and I feel like you just get better at it the more that you try. You know, absolutely. Um, so, what's your perspective on spirituality and music? I don't. I'm not a very spiritual person, um, and so I kind of like stay away from it. I will like sometimes write about religion, not from like a religious standpoint though. Mm-hmm. Sort of like I think everyone like 
God is one of those things everyone can relate to. Even if you don't believe in God, you mm-hmm. understand the concept of God. It's one of those things like sadness or happiness or love. Like yeah, everybody yeah. knows what that is. Everybody knows that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in the church. Um, and so I know about it. Um, but it's not something that I really write about. I write a lot about like idolization, um, mm. which is in a way spiritual, but I think it's as much cultural, um, you know, who we build up. Why do we build up things? Mary is about this building, the Mary Singleton Senior Center okay. in Springfield. And it's this concrete building, um, wonderful, beautiful building, one of my favorite buildings. Um, but we were driving past it one day, me and my friend, and she was like, I hate this building. And I and I was like, why do you hate this building? It's like my favorite building. And she's like, I just think it's so ugly. And I bet most people will think it's ugly. And I was when I was writing Mary, I was thinking about like who gets to decide what is the standard in society? Who gets mm-hmm. to decide what is good? Who gets to decide what is bad? Who gets to put things on pedestals? Who gets to take things down? Um, and, you know, I think I relate to that almost more than like sort of this religious idea of anything or the spiritual idea um, because I think more than anything, we're all just cultural and we all have mm-hmm. a culture and – you know, everything exists within that like socialization yeah. and you can write about that and have it relate to that. I had someone think that Mary was about like Mary from the Bible. Mm. And I was like really flattered by that because it could be about Mary from the Bible. I mean, FK twigs did a very good record on Mary Magdalene um, and sort of sexism and stuff like that. But um, you know, it, that wasn't what my record or that song was about. Um, but that person was like, really thought it was. And I thought that was super cool um, because that's what they took from that. And I think that's because it was sort of just this cultural thing. And, you know, you can relate. I'm going to sound like a a douche, but you can can relate the culture to anything. (laughs) (laughs) But that that is one of the coolest things about art because I'll listen to a song and get goosebumps, you know, and then I'll talk to one of my buddies about it. And we have a completely different understanding of the same song and like the intent, the story of it, you know, and it's, I feel like that's one of the most beautiful things about art in general Mm -hmm. is, and it's almost like it's a vehicle for projection of the audience. Like it's an instrument that you can project your feelings onto and get whatever you need from that, you know? And uh, that's one of the coolest things. And I feel like in music and art, like, it's easy for us to recognize beauty and aesthetic because um, we can always put a finger on it. It's like, yep, that's beautiful. Oh, that's ugly as shit. But when you're trying to define those terms, it's kind of muddy water. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like, how do you define those terms um, within the art and realm of music as well? Right. Um, one of my favorite songs is um, Hotel Chelsea Number no. 2. Um, Chelsea Hotel Number no. 2 uh, by Leonard Cohen, uh, which is about Janis Joplin. Um he wrote it, you know, when she overdosed and, um, and died. Uh, but, um, there's a line in that where he says, um, about her clenching your fists for the ones like us who are, um, possessed by the figures of beauty. You fix yourself. He said, "Never mind. We're ugly, but we have the music. Mm. And that is like a perfect like distillation of what 
like society has sort of shifted towards in terms of beauty versus like utilitarian use mm-hmm. versus like cultural capital and this idea that like we might be ugly but like we have what they want like so we're gods to them right yeah. like they are coming to like festivals and droves to see us not because we're attractive but because like we're their idols we're their gods mm-hmm. and you know a cool thing about streaming in a way is that it's become less and less about beauty and more about art if you want like mm-hmm. when lord first came out like she didn't reveal her face um cuz she was like 14 or 15 or something but okay. like um i think to me i view beauty not so much as like this thing you look at and you're like oh that's beautiful because like some of my favorite artists are like cubists like picasso yeah and some of my favorite architecture is brutal and you know sharp angular lines and concrete and Mm -hmm. you know that's what i gravitate towards because i like the useful things in life i like things that are to the point i like to be blunt to me that is beautiful Mm -hmm. i think being transparent is beautiful um i hate these like big Victorian homes that everything is segmented off because that's really just a reflection of the society it grew up in where you had these hierarchies of things and you had the help and they were closed off in one room. And I don't like that. Um, Other people love that stuff because it reminds them of their time or whatever, or their parents grew up in that or their grandparents grew up in that. um, And they think that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, you know, the great thing about art is like my mom will look at a Picasso and she just simply does not get it. Mm-hmm. Like she gets why I like it. She gets why people like it, but she doesn't, it's not for her. Yeah. Um, but Picasso's like big, like he's a big, you know, he's famous. Um, and so he's someone that's so polarizing, but also it is considered like to create these beautiful works of art. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have people like Georgia O'Keeffe who creates very flowery, very like, you know, beautiful pieces of art, but they're meant to look like vaginas and things like that. And, you know, um, that sort of like play is really, really fun too. Um, And so, you know, the whole like beauty in the eye is in like the eye of the beholder, like whatever, like if you want that, (laughs) you can have that. But like, I think that, there's so much that you can like in the world. There's mm. so much beauty that exists. And I think it's funny that almost all of us choose to focus on the stuff that sucks. Yeah. And what does that say about humans is something you can ponder later on <laughs> while you're taking a shower. But I think that um, I've been talking for five minutes, but it, Keep um, it going, brother. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, Art is not here to just say what's beautiful. I don't think it's here to be beautiful. I don't think it needs to be anything. Um, I am one of those people that's not very big on like creating like mushy, like tender, beautiful pieces of art. But there's people that do it wonderfully and I let them do it um, because it's not my bag. Um, (laughs) It's just not what I do. Yeah, there's something beautiful about being provocative because and like juxtapositioning juxtapositioning original thought next to another original thought and um making you feel like something like um in my opinion like 
when I see a piece of art that makes me like rethink my life, you know, and it doesn't even have to have a political or cultural connotation. It's just something that is so like empowering, you know, um, for me, William Blake, um, he was an artist in the 1500s and did like, and I'm not religious at all, but he did these like biblical drawings of heaven and hell and all this stuff. And it's some of the most amazing thing. And I think that it stands on its own because it's so like transcendent of, like you said, everybody, no matter what you believe in, you can relate to the fact of God or the fact of no God or whatever. And it's just, it's really interesting to kind of embody those feelings and why are we here, all this stuff, you know, it's uh, anything that makes you think, I think is there's some aspect of beauty in that. Um, but I think that was a beautiful way to wrap it up. I do. So I like to end the podcast on, um, this little number. So Carl Sagan has the golden record project. Um, he was a director of putting all these songs on this golden record in a spaceship. And the goal was if aliens ever come across this box, they get to listen to some tunes from earth. So what tunes would be on your golden record? Oh goodness. Um, what do you want the aliens headbanging to out there? <laughs> uh, I'll give the to start a little piece of their own medicine, <laughs> and I'll put "Nuclear War" by Sun Ra. Okay, and then oh, nice. um, I will put um, "Strange Fruit" by Billie Holiday. Mm. And that's got to be one of the best songs of all time. A, a song that is like still relevant today, unfortunately. Um, that's probably one of the most beautiful. And like powerful lyrics ever too. Like yeah, if you haven't heard that tune, definitely go check that out. Um, I'll put Hallelujah Leonard Cohen's version. Okay. I'll put. Um, damn, this is hard. Um, <laughs> Joni Mitchell's last time I saw Richard. No, honestly, I'll do River so they can okay. hear Jingle Bells and also that song. <laughs> and um, then I will put um, Ben's by Solange and Nike's by Frank Ocean. Rock and roll, brother. Cool. You got any <laughs> shout outs? So we'll wrap it up. Oh, um, shout out Taylor Neal. Um, go yeah, listen to... Yeah, we got to get him on uh, Yeah, to Tay. Um, Matilda just announced they have a new song coming out, so that's exciting. Um, shout out to you for letting me ramble for Ooh, however long. Rock and roll. Please edit it to be coherent. <laughs> and um, I can say all the letters of the alphabet and you can just reword everything. Um, and um, shout out. One thing I've been doing during quarantine is there's this list, 500 albums to, well, there's 1,000 al- albums to listen to before you die. Mm. And then there's Rolling Stones, 500 best um records of all time Mm. i've been trying to a few times a week like listen to a full album from that list and sort of like go the way down okay and um you listen to a lot of new music that way and i think the best thing anyone can do right now society is so segmented is to try to listen to music you've never listened to different points of view you've never listened to um oh what's going on by marvin Gaye? oh that's gotta go in the Golden Records. Yeah, they got to hear some Marvin. Yeah, but, um, you know, I would say, you know, if you like to talk about music, if you like to listen to people talk about music, you should also try to listen to music. 
Definitely. And to end it on a Marvin Gaye quote, he said, uh, any true artist um, should have the goal in mind of waking the people up um, to a new perspective. And I think that's uh, telling of the times, too. Amen. All right. Oi, oi, yo, rock and roll. <laughs> Sick, man. That was fun, dude. Yeah.